Hello, critics, non-critics, and friends. Welcome to the Film Optics Podcast, brought to you by the Drive-In Podcast Network, where we discuss film, TV, and all things Hollywood. I am your host, Christian, and I'm joined by two special guests, two friends of the show. We have Brendan Cassidy from In Session Film and Matt Wyatt to continue our celebration of the 20 years of magic with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. How are you guys doing today? Oh, feeling magical, uh, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Matt, what about you? Yeah, I'm so glad to be back on the show again with you guys, and I am can't wait to geek out for Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, man, it's crazy. So, uh, Brendan, I, I, I believe you are an Eagles fan, correct? I'm a Steelers fan. Oh, actually. are you? Oh, okay, okay. My yeah. Steelers brother, and I got yeah. you. I got you. And, and, and I guess to you know, for for some context for everyone listening, I do live in the Philadelphia area, so that would probably make me a bit of a traitor to some <laughs> sports fans out there. Um, but it's just who I grew up watching. Uh, so in some ways, it's like my unofficial home team, if that makes any sense. Uh, but yeah, Steelers fan primarily. Nice, nice. I think that deserves a nice little round of applause there. That's nice. Oh, I, I like that. I, I appreciate like it. Yes, yeah. It's, if you haven't noticed, I'm also a Steelers fan. Um, originally yeah. from Cleveland, Ohio. Very dangerous place to be a Steelers fan. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we we you know we we have our nice little hiding spots. You know, Diagon Alley, all that all that jazz. You know, just just like in the Wizarding World, there's not too many of us out there in Cleveland, um, as far <laughs> as people may know. But <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> We, yeah, we, we kind of just hide around, you know, it's we're, we're hiding in plain sight. It's very easy. Like I got my Batman logo on today. I was going to wear my Steelers shirt because we play, I believe we play Seahawks today. So that'll right. be a lot of prime time. So that, that'll be, um, yeah, well, you're, you're at least honoring DC fandom that's going on right now. So there's at least some parallels going on here. Yeah. Yeah. And really quick, did you guys, I know Matt kept, caught a little bit of it. Did you catch any of it, JD, or kind of just. Uh, the back end, just a little bit of announcements on Twitter. Uh, you mean you mean Brendan? I mean Brendan. I am so <laughs> sorry. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. We talked to JD way too often. I can understand the uh, uh, the, the the confusion. I guess. <laughs> my <laughs> Plus, we're both so very long winded in the same way. You're good, man. Um, uh, at this point, as far as DC fandom is concerned, um, I did watch a few of the trailers, uh, especially for the Batman, primarily because that is the one I'm most interested in at this point. Um, and the teaser for Black Adam, I think, also premiered as well. And that that looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I'm just kind of a sucker for anything that Dwayne Johnson does. Yeah, that yeah, I, I was watching it. Uh, one of my friends who I actually met through Twitter, uh, his name is Dibes. He runs the Suit Up Geeks uh, podcast. He mm-hmm. came down to Nashville for a uh, nice little um, uh, bachelorette party for one of his friends. And I went over there, kind of met up with him for the first time. We watched a little bit of DC fandom together and kind of, Geeked nice. out on a few things, but it was it was sure. okay. You know, four hours four hours is a long time for for a stream. I'm like, guys, listen, yeah. E3 doesn't go this long daily. That's why <laughs> we have multiple days for this stuff. And they purposely left the Batman trailer at the end because they knew if people were watching it, they would have cut out immediately. And by I that point, you're kind of fatigued by it by by that point to even enjoy it as much as you probably could. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was like, you know, the pacing. Netflix had like their uh, Tadam event like earlier a few weeks ago. And I was like, can we just trim this down to like an hour and a half, maybe two yeah. hours and just go home? It'd be yeah. great. I don't have to build I, my entire day around it. I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But 
before we begin today's review, you can listen to our podcast on platforms around the internet. If you're a new or seasoned listener to the show, we'd love to hear from you guys. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Film Optics. That is Optics with an X. So, man, oh man, are you, are you guys ready to kind of just dive into our Harry Potter review here? Our, our Chamber of Secrets review, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. definitely down for this one. Okay, sweet. So before we begin, really quick, wanted to know. Actually, no, we'll save that for the end. We'll be right back with our Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets review right after this short break. Oh, no. Look, everyone. Weasley's got himself a howler. <laughs> Go on, Ron. I ignored one from my grand once. It was horrible. Ronald Weasley! How dare you steal that car! I am absolutely disgusted! Your father's now facing an inquiry at work, and it's entirely your fault! If you put another toe out of line, we'll bring you straight home! Oh, and Ginny, dear, congratulations on making Gryffindor. Your father and I are so proud. All right, and we are back with our Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets review. Of course, this is directed by Christopher Columbus, and the novel was written by J.K. Rowling, and the screenplay was also written by uh, Steve Cloves as well, and starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and Emma Watson, and the story um, is as follows. Actually, I forgot to put the story part in, but yeah, if you haven't watched Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets right now, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but Where go you watch been? it. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing with your life. If you haven't watched it, or if you're not a fan, the entire franchise now is streaming on HBO Max for quote-unquote free for a small monthly fee of $9.99. But mm. <laughs> let's uh, get into the weeds here. I wanted to ask you guys really quickly, uh, what was your introduction to Harry Potter? We had a few guests on coming on from uh, Sorcerer's Stone. They kind of gave their feel. So I felt like it was a fun question kind of just to ask everyone because for some people, you know, people I've known for my entire life, they're as big of Harry Potter fans as me. And they didn't watch or read the books, excuse me until after they watched the film. So that was kind of like their jump start. But we'll start with Matt, and then we'll go over to Brendan, and then um, I'll kind of give my little spiel. But Matt, what was your introduction to Harry Potter? Well, it, it was an introduction through the marketing of the TV spots of the first Sorcerer's Stone. And I knew nothing about the the franchise or the books, because I never read the books until like uh, around 7th to 8th grade. And Look, when I first went to go see the Sorcerer's Stone, I fell in love with it. My grandma took me to go see it in the theater, and I fell in love with that world, and I watched it so many times on DVD, and I really fell in love with the wizarding world. I've always wanted to become a wizard, doing spells and doing magic and all that stuff, <laughs> and actually play Quidditch. I mean, that's my number one favorite part of the movie. Yeah, me and uh, Matt were talking a little bit before about there was a there was a Harry Potter Quidditch game like age like early early two thousands back when you know they made video games for every movie adaptation of a book you know you had to cover all the trifecta there so we were yeah. talking about that I played that a lot in my uh, my uh, hometown library so that was a lot of fun but Brendan what was <laughs> your introduction to Harry Potter. I 
I feel like it is somewhat similar to Matt's here. Um, I did try to read the first book, uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, I think in maybe fifth grade, and I did have a hard time getting into it. I think my my mindset was really just more into I, I, different genres and different things. I was reading a lot of Hardy Boys, of all things, at that <laughs> time. Um, but then the release of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the movie, uh, piqued my interest because... I really loved that at that time. That was sort of like this eye-opening, exp- eye-opening experience for me when it came to film at that age. And that came out in 2001. I was in fifth or sixth grade. at th- I was in sixth grade at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and as we talked about on our review and session film, Christian, that you joined us for the Fellowship of the Ring when we did our Lord of the Rings movie series, we kind of had more of a relationship with Harry Potter because of the innocence. Uh, and I do think that first film captured that very well. And that's what triggered me to go back and start reading the books after seeing that first film. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to our Sorcerer's Stone review, um, if Chamber of Secrets is one of your favorite movies, like it is mine, um, of the franchise, uh, for me, um, uh, my, for, for you guys just listening, um, especially everyone who's on the uh, podcast right now. Um, so my first grade teacher read us the, uh, the first book. I think it was around maybe like a chapter a week. And we were kind of just, like, you know, she would do like the voices and everything. Like she really got into it and nice. we, we loved it. Absolutely loved it. And it was like last thing we would do like on a Friday before we went home for the weekend, things of that nature. But we just like, you know, I was in like first grade. So we, we knew of Harry Potter, but we didn't know who JK Rowling was. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was very brilliant for a publicist to be like, yo, you know, put your initials because at the time, unfortunately, you know, uh, women who wrote books weren't as well received by, you know, everyone else in that industry, but it really sure. just sparked a magic for me. And then of course, you know, the movies came out, my mom took me to every single, um, not necessarily like premiere, but as soon as the movie came out like that weekend, she took me to every single one. Um, sure. fortunately she almost dipped out after Azkaban, uh, cause she said it was, <laughs> Got a little too dark for her, and I was like, "Mom, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go." That's so. that's the trajectory of the books, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I mean, of course, like I mean, I would read them at school, things of that nature. But when yeah. I was younger, I I hated reading books that people told me what to read, and just in general, like I hated just reading for some reason. And then Harry Potter is kind of like what got me back into reading and Mm -hmm. things of that nature. So everything kind of just boiled from there. I think, I mean, this year is the 20th anniversary of the first film, but you know, they're celebrating everything's Harry Potter this year, as well as Lord of the Rings and Xbox, by the way, November 15th. So 2001 was a hell of a year. It really was nine years old. old. Nine years old is when, not Chamber of Secrets, but uh, Sorcerer's Stone came out, and I was like, Man. "Wow, has it really been that long?" Like, I'm I'm with you, Matt. I I feel old as well. I mean, this podcast was supposed to be fun. Now I just feel old. <laughs> <laughs> this is now the Reminiscence Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel about that? Right, <laughs> nostalgic, <laughs> nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, it definitely has a lot of. I mean, Harry Potter means so many things to so many people. Um, I haven't mm. been able to go to Harry Potter World myself. Um, but I've seen, you know, many of videos from a lot of my friends. I, I, I just want to go yeah. like, I, I, I think it's time, but man, oh man, nine-year-old me will eat that stuff up. It's <laughs> super, super crazy. It's insane. <laughs> but, um, I also wanted to ask you guys before we kind of get into the film, um, do you guys have a Hogwarts house? Like what, what, what is the house that you identify with the one that you stand with? 
throughout the test of time. <laughs> I guess we'll go with Matt and then we'll go to Brendan. Yeah, when I took the quiz, I mean, I mostly it's Hufflepuff. I've been chosen to be part of the Hufflepuff, and then there's times where I got into Gryffindor. The one I stick to most is it's Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little biased because I love the Gryffindor house more than I do with the Hufflepuff. Very warm colors. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon, what about you? Yeah. So, yeah, I've taken the uh, the quiz on Pottermore uh, as well, and it does label me as a Hufflepuff. And it's interesting because there are so many quizzes out there, especially if you go to BuzzFeed. I mean, there is one Harry Potter quiz that 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 sorts you to your house based on what sandwiches that you like. I mean, it's, really? It's, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, but it's it's fun because every time I take a quiz like that, I always get a different house. I mm. always get something different. I think that's because we all have like characteristics that could fit into each of the four houses. It's just mm. it depends on what one overtakes, uh, maybe for that specific day that you're taking that quiz. But I do identify with Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw the most just based on what their characteristics are. Uh, and those ones do tend to come back the most for me actually I've, i have a lot of friends who know me very well and they say brendan you are absolutely a ravenclaw so when i say i'm a hufflepuff <laughs> they actually find that kind of surprising yeah i i always used to tell my friends that friends don't let friends get sorted into hufflepuff uh because i'm a slytherin <laughs> <laughs> you are a slytherin. i remember you said that on the uh on the sorcerer stone episode yeah yeah what? i i I've taken the quiz a few times everyone's like oh you're definitely a hufflepuff i'm like no i mean not Slytherin is not a bad house. I will say this in every single movie series. Oh, yeah. For you you, Harry you guys talked about that a lot. I mean, th- it does get a bad rap because we are hearing these stories from Harry's perspective, mm-hmm. and he obviously has a very skewed and maybe narrow minded view of Slytherin, but Slytherin has some really good characteristics to them. Uh, they just have happen to have a history that some people tend to frown upon, if that mm, makes any sense. Right. <laughs> uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Then, then I might come off as a narrow-minded because I think Slytherin are full of jerks. Jerk face. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why you're a Gryffindor. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I've, I've read into it. I mean, Gryffindor and Slytherin, they're literally two sides of the same coin. And as much as mm-hmm. the film, especially Chamber of Secrets, um, it, you know, it paints obviously the entire series paints, um, you know, Gryffindor on like this, this golden light, you know, like, oh yeah, they're the best house, whatever, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I will say there's a lot of shady characters in Slytherin. I'm not saying that there, there isn't, are. but it's more of Gryffindors don't like Slytherins because of like their cunning nature, their resourcefulness, but Slytherins don't like Gryffindors because Gryffindors are very, can be very boastful when it comes to courage well, yeah. and things of that nature. So I, I see, you know, both sides of the coin, like why they don't. Yeah. There's a chivalry to members in Gryffindor for sure. And Mm -hmm. that could be a very good thing, but I, I I can't remember if it was either Nicole or Amy on the Sorcerer's Stone episode you guys did last week that mentioned that even Harry himself is kind of a jerk. When you think about it. (laughs) I I mean, as brave as many Gryffindors are, there were a lot of bullies in Gryffindor too. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, even James Potter is another great example of that. Oh yeah. We found out that when he went to Snape's memory, he saw that, no, he Snape was being bullied by his own dad. Yeah. <laughs> James Potter was the bully 
Yeah. And that is why Snape hates Harry with a passion. Yeah. I know. That's why he hates them. <laughs> and, it's such he, a bad and, thing. and the whole relationship to the, to Lily as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know, you, you see, I mean, you see the more sensitive side of, of, of Snape, but yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Slytherin's for the win. So I'm gonna let you guys know that. Just <laughs> rip the bandaid off right now. And I've, this is what and this is why I'm a Hufflepuff, because I look at this, it's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm impartial. <laughs> I, I I I'm I'm open minded to all this. You guys be you. Yeah. It's you know, it's it's all I mean, it it, it is a funny thing because you know, we're twenty you know, in, in our twenties still talking about Harry Potter, and it's like I, mm-hmm. I just love how life-changing it's been for a lot of people especially for jk rowling you know writing these books you know with with her um with her story and her come up so it's i mean at one time she was like as i think she was more famous than oprah or had more money than oprah at one point for a brief moment yeah Yeah, for a brief moment so it's you know regardless of her political views or whatever yeah still love the franchise so i kind of have to tell people that like hey you know even though you're not maybe the biggest fan of jk anymore doesn't mean you can't still appreciate yeah. the thing that she given to the world. So. If you could separate the person from the art. Not everyone's able to do that, which mm-hmm. I, I think that's certainly fair. Um, but if you can, then you could still acknowledge it that that, that individual made some great works regardless. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a classic hero's hero's tale. So I right. guess let's just get into breaking down the film. Um wanted to ask you guys, did you guys get a chance to rewatch this before the uh the podcast i mean i i usually do just because um it has been about a year i do usually watch these on a yearly basis but i've seen them god knows how many times but i guess Mm -hmm. we'll start with brendan and then we'll go to matt did you guys get a chance to rewatch it and you know just your initial thoughts of rewatching it did you notice anything new or kind of does your feelings still stay the same of chamber of secrets Uh, i did rewatch this one and it may not have even mattered because so many of these movies are kind of engraved into my memory at this point since like you christian i've seen them so many times um and i often say to myself when i revisit films that i loved in my childhood that i'm always afraid to rewatch them now as a film critic because if you notice things that you don't like nowadays when you look at at it through more of a critical lens you find yourself disappointed if things don't hold up. Um, <laughs> but but it's also rewarding at the same time, too, if it goes in the other direction. If a film does hold up and it's like, man, I used to like a good movie as a child. I guess I was a smart kid. Uh, <laughs> um, I will say this. When I first saw Chamber of Secrets, when it first opened, I loved it. I liked it just as much as Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, and and I, I, I love that there was a slight aesthetic difference to it when compared to Sorcerer's Stone. It's not quite as uh, fluffy pun intended mm. uh, it, it, <laughs> uh but it, there is a sinister quality to it that i think does you know create this trajectory of where the rest of these films are tonally gonna go um but chamber of secrets looking at it now through a more c- critical lens it, it doesn't really hold up as well for me so i don't mean to be the negative one here it's there's a lot about the script writing that feels very plotty if that makes any sense, this mm-hmm. is the Harry Potter film that feels the most like it prioritizes story over anything else. Uh, and, and the way it moves, the way characters talk, it feels very expository. And it, it, I kept noticing those things. And this is also the film where you can sense how you know people like Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and Tom Felton were all apparently going through puberty at the exact same time. Yep. <laughs> and... <laughs> I think it affects their performances a little bit. As far as child acting goes, I think this is the lesser of all of them for me. So there, there are there are qualities I still love nostalgically, but as a movie, it's 
it kind of wavered for me a little bit, sadly. Okay. All right. Matt, what about you? I I mean, I get where you're coming from, Christian. Um, um, what's your name? I, I forgot your name. <laughs> keep, it's Brandon. JD. Yeah, Brandon. No, sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get where you're coming from, and it's not perfect as it was, like, how much we loved it years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I still love the film for what it was. I thought they took in a little bit of a darker direction, and sure. every movie keeps getting darker and darker, a little bit more mature. I still loved it. I thought the good out far the way the bad. Okay. Yeah. It's for, for me, it's, I mean, out of, I guess while these films were coming out, I've definitely rewatched. I mean, I've rewatched, you know, Sorcerer's Stone just as much, but I always, when I was a kid, for some reason, I've always enjoyed sequels more than the original when I was Mm. a kid, but I loved Chamber of Secrets growing up, you know, and like Brendan said, when it comes to like, you know, hi, Harry, and you know, and Sorcerer's Stone, and then yeah. when it comes to the Chamber of Secrets, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is an awkwardness to it that I don't know if that was intentional. Yeah, because they're 12 in Chamber of Secrets, because I believe that was their actual age as well. Yeah, yeah they-, they mostly casted them based on. I don't know if that was the intent, but very close to how these characters would have been aged in that specific story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we kind of talked about that with Sorcerer Stone. I think Nicole was bringing up the, um, how the aging of the casting of at least the kids is perfect. But when it comes to the adults, I think, you know, obviously they got a little bit more older actors because Snape should be technically a little bit younger because Lillian Mm -hmm. James passed away. I guess it would be, I mean, chronologically, like in their 20s, because they had Harry at a pretty earlier age in life. Right. So I think that was one of her gripes with it. But for Chamber of Secrets, for me, I just, I've always, like, the mystery, like, I mean, like Brendan said, it's very plotty, but like, I think it just comes great, like, full circle, because, you know, mm-hmm. you have this, essentially, this, this prejudice, like, basculus that's going around trying to, you know, kill the, the mudbloods or aka the, the non, pure um magic family or the offsprings of those and yeah it's very uh it it is very dark i i honestly i can say from the second onward it just it's just more of a darker tone i mean the first one like brendan said is more fluffy and just more inviting and warm because Mm -hmm. it's the first installment and you know it's world building and you see a lot of references from the or a lot of the same spells that they use so it is between christopher columbus between both of them I do feel like um, I think Sorcerer's Stone is a little bit more better paced just by a hair because I believe Chamber of Secrets runs around two hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, it yeah. is a long movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, when I was rewatching it, I was like, you know, I mouthing the words I used to. Oh, my gosh. just quote that stuff all especially the second movie and i loved just the introduction where you know ron comes and ron and george and um oh my gosh i'm sorry fred 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 and george my gosh i'm like i said i'm I'm kind of (laughs) out of it today i do apologize but them coming to rescue harry you know like the the entire opening scene of course you know it starts with the dursleys and i i feel like they find found their footing a little bit more with Chamber of Secrets, like moving forward. But it was really weird to like with Daniel Radcliffe going through puberty, and it's like, oh well, it's only year two, and it's like, all right, he's like at least twelve years old um, in real life, maybe thirteen, no more than mm-hmm. thirteen. 
But I really just, um, I enjoyed the plot for what it was, you know, the performances, the cinematography all around was just beautiful. And I, I actually watched this, um, on, I have a 4k collection of it and it was my first right. time watching the 4k collection because I finally had a chance to, cause I recently bought it a few months ago and, um, it looks great. Like that film grain, like that, like, OG, just, it looks, it looks so freaking vintage. Mm. And I was like, it just looks aesthetically just pleasing. It's but, old fashioned in a way that I do appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, um, I mean, I just love how the plot it's, I mean, it's low key kind of like a, Hey, you know, we learn about mudbloods and what that actually means through Tom Felton. And it really kind of, it's, it's, we, it's a more mysterious plot than the Sorcerer's Stone because they're trying to figure out who Tom Riddle is, you know, mm-hmm. what the Chamber of Secrets is. You learn more about the history of Hogwarts as a whole between, you know, the four original founders. And it really kind of just takes off running, but it is, you know, the whole blood, like writing, um, messages and blood on the wall and introducing Ginny, who was one of my favorite characters. I thought she was in this movie a little bit more. Then, mm-hmm. you know, the, then previous, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's really not in this all that much. But, you know, she ends up being the culprit for everything, you know, her brainwashing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, and then I'll let Matt jump in as well. I, I, while I do uh, not like a lot of the way that the plot is told, I think this mm-hmm. is actually one of the better stories of all of the Harry Potter uh stories whether it be the book or the movie it's actually one of my favorites of the book series yeah. uh primarily because of that i think there's a topical nature to it there's a a, a producial kind of nature to it that you were talking about there christian that i think actually has aged pretty well just from a story standpoint uh and that does give it an interesting edge over top of some of the uh, other ones even if i think the way it's conveyed and told does feel almost like a series of video game cutscenes to me. Like yeah. the way that the way that some characters are reintroduced and the way they pause and linger on, oh, Professor Dumbledore. Oh, <laughs> Professor McGonagall. <It's, laughs> as if it's it's like, oh, we we don't remember who they are. They have to be reintroduced. Like there's yeah. there's a pacing a weirdness to the pacing, I should say. But the story itself is one of the more intriguing, and I think it's well told in the book too. Yeah. Uh yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, overall, th- this movie is so good. I really enjoy the whole uh, mystery of who is the heir of Slytherin. Who is Tom Riddle? Who's doing all uh, the killings in Hogwarts? Like that, one of the most of them been petrified now. And seeing the Basilisk Snake on the big screen, it looked so good. Oh man, the, especially in the third act finale when Harry was battling him and now with uh, the Basilisk and finding out that Tom Riddle is Voldemort the whole mm-hmm. time. It, it was so well done with the with the reveal because if you have not read the books, then yeah, you're gonna get a big shock surprise. But if you have read it, then you already know who the heir of Slytherin is. Mm-hmm. Overall, it, this is still a damn good movie. I really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, sure, I understand it. It, it, it doesn't quite age well, but I thought for me, I still loved it for just because of nostalgia. You know, you know, what I will say about the final uh, uh, confrontation with Harry and Tom Riddle, as well as the Basilisk, is that even though as book readers we know what's going to happen, uh, there is still an element of surprise for us thinking about what is this creature, this basilisk, going to look like in this world. Mm. And the way it's envisioned, I think, is also very inventive and interesting, but there are a lot of practical effects to really make it look as uh, as tangible as it is. And any other modern blockbuster, that would have been done all on a computer, and it would have had oh, yeah. less weight to it. But there is a real dedication to practicality in that final confrontation, and a lot of that is very well handled. 
Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The practical sets and the snake looks so good. I mean, I wish they kept doing it more and more, but I get it because of the budget, because now it's more expensive to do more practical and now it's mm-hmm. much more cheaper and easier to do it on a computer and doing a CGI for the effects. Yeah. The, the effects is what it really, what got me. I, I just think throughout just the entire franchise, much like Lord of the Rings, like they just look so good. And just the, even the CGI from Lord of the Rings and even you've seen it in for uh, chamber of secrets, it's like, it, it holds up. And I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. a, you know, nostalgic lens that I'm looking through, but even like with the basilisk, it's like, I was like, man, like I just forgot how good this snake actually looked. And when, um, when the Phoenix comes in, you know, and kind of blinds the basilisk, you kind of sort of see it for a hot second, then it mm-hmm. cuts over. to like, the 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 outline shadow because i'm assuming it's due to budget cuts it's like okay you know we got to save her for that big you know the snake kind of having like its brain like through, through the sword and whatnot but i i really like how like every single time we watch these movies and i said this on the sorcerer's stone um episode mm-hmm. like my brain just is like oh yeah like it like fast forwards through the movie and i'm like oh yeah like i remember the scene and blah 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 x y and z happens and i feel like I wish I didn't do that because I'm so fast forward. I'm like, okay, you know, we, we've already seen one deathly, uh, hallow and uh sorcerer's stone, which is the invisibility cloak. Uh, you know, we're introduced to Godric Gryffindor's sword in this one. And we get our first, well, technically you don't really know this until the very end spoilers. Harry's a Horcrux, obviously, but yeah. through, you know, watching for the first time without knowing it's kind of like, the diary was a Horcrux, you know, there's right. always this different, yeah. you know, schemey little plan that Voldemort's trying to, you know, um, come back to life. First, it's the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. And then, you know, it's his own uh, diary with preserving his own um, 16-year-old self within that book and then so on and so forth. And I really like how he, it's like Voldemort is like a really big freaking deal, but I really like how he has all these, you know, he comes back the next year. He's like, Oh darn, you know, like I didn't make it back this year, you know, whatever, whatever I'll return later mm-hmm. on. But I will say the MVP of this entire um, movie, I would have to say it's Dobby, Dobby, excuse me. <laughs> Dobby. <laughs> Dobby. I like Dobby better. But no, no. <laughs> And it's, I mean, the, the CGI for him is a bit weird, but I still think it ages well. Not as much as Gollum. I think he definitely, like, it's as if, you know, these movies were made, like, within the past five years. Yeah. Dobby's a little little waxy here and there, but I really like how, you know, he's, he kind of, like, comes out of nowhere. He's, you know, we find out that he's the Malfoy's uh, house elf, and, you know, he's preventing Harry from coming back to school because, you know, uh, Lucius Malfoy has this great plan to, you know, plant a piece yeah. of Voldemort's soul inside of Jenny Weasley's cauldron. Yeah. And, and then, see, <laughs> yeah. When you see, when you first saw that, and when he was putting the book back in Jenny Weasley's cauldron, you're like, wait, wait, what is that an extra book that he put in? <laughs> then when you rewatch it again, now you notice that, yeah, he did plant that diary on Jenny. Yeah. yeah. And it's using it's her as a pawn to bring back Voldemort. Yeah. There are little nuances like that, that are kind of sneaky the way that they uh, keep the story moving and how those reveals are going to take place. Yeah, and that's I guess that's why I like about it, how it goes full circle because of course it would be Dobby overhearing his master's plot. You know, Lucy's Malfoy is a Death Eater. We all know this, but it's it's kind of like the the meme from um, 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with um, Leonardo, oh, Leonardo Leonardo, yeah, pointing at the screen. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, he's like, there it is. <laughs> like, there it is. There, there it is. <laughs> it's like, That's there. everywhere. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it's it's fun to you know being a hardcore fan or just just a fan of the of the series when you notice those small little things. And that's why I like how it goes full circle because I've er everything's just, I believe well connected, but I can mm -hmm. see why I know chamber of secrets is not everyone's favorite, but I mean, it, even just from the book, cause I think the book is just as long, maybe a little bit longer than sorcerer's stone. It is a little bit longer. I feel like the books did at least through one through five, the books gradually got a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, Half Blood Prince, I think, was a little bit shorter. That sort of broke that trend a little bit. Yeah, because uh, Goblin all... Fire was like, yeah. But, but then Death, but then Deathly Hollows, the final book, that was like the longest book out of all the whole uh, Harry Potter. It was close. I, I forget which one actually was. It may have been that one. It was. It was either that or the Order of the Phoenix. I remember the Order of the Phoenix oh. is like a thousand pages. Yes, or it was. Yes, it <laughs> yeah, was. it was like a Bible. Ooh, that book. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it and might as well be a bible yeah, yeah i mean and wasn't everyone's favorite movie i don't know if it was everyone's favorite book i can't remember um but movie wise i know a lot of people did not like order of the phoenix as much um i've fallen the other side of that but for yeah for, yeah it's it's weird but i guess going through this entire i wanted to kind of actually just give you guys a chance to you know if there's anything you wanted to bring up that you adored or weren't really too crazy about Chamber Secrets on this rewatch. I guess we'll start with Brendan and then we'll go to uh, Matt. Yeah, well, I did talk about what doesn't really work for me, which is really more so the script writing. Uh, I think Steve Close was really more focused on plotting and just the way people talk. It felt like sometimes felt like a Wikipedia entry in, in, in some cases. <laughs> yeah. uh, but if I overlook that and just look at it from a directional standpoint, there are a lot of good things here, uh, especially with regard to the not just the characterization, but the way that Dobby is visually interpreted here. Uh, yes, there is a bit of a waxiness to the way he looks, like you said, Christian, but there are uh, there's a jerkiness to him that I think actually adds to his quirky nature. And I think th this also goes to show why a good cinematographer is so key with how you present special effects. Uh, the director of photography here was Roger Pratt, who I mm. believe only shot two Harry Potter films, and that's this one and Goblet of Fire. Really? And he, he, yeah, and he tends to bring like a murkiness to those films, which uh, is not always the most visually appealing but i think it also does a good job masking some potential imperfections in the visual effects which is why i think dobby still looks very good when i watch it on hbo max for instance and i think that's a good you know a good thing with regard to this specific film so i like the way that it looks and i like that it does feel like a juxtaposition when you compare it to sorcerer stone and how how, how vibrant and vivid that that movie was, which totally does match. Uh, so there are a lot of good things here. There's a lot of fun to be had st still here as well. Um, I think the character of Gilroy Lockhart, played by Kenneth Branagh, he's <laughs> the character means nothing to this movie. And so no. you sneak him out, he does not change a darn thing. <laughs> but Kenneth Branagh is just too good of an actor that he just he hams it up in the most Shakespearean kind of way, uh, as you would expect given his history. And I just like what he does with that. So uh, from a performance standpoint, at least among the uh, the British elite, <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> they they know what they're doing and they do it very well. Yeah. And I actually wanted to ask you, so when, when before we get to Matt, um, when you had talked about, you know, this 
when it comes to like the Wikipedia part, it's like, oh, Professor McGonagall. Well, like, do you yeah. feel like they added that in for quote unquote newcomers who may have not have watched the first film? Or is I, it more of just a kid thing? I don't know. I don't know. That's a very good question. Maybe they did think about the fact that okay, some people are going to come into this not seeing the first film, so let's try and, you know, overcompensate for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe there was just a sense of excitement that this is a sequel to a movie that became such a huge hit and phenomenon that was almost kind of unexpected. Uh, that level of excitement about reintroducing everyone to this world for a second time maybe just kind of overtook the uh, the mentality of Christopher Columbus and everyone that was uh, behind the scenes making it. I don't know. I think it's a very good question. Yeah, because I've always wondered that because it it just seems nowadays when you know when a sequel is made, it's like oh you don't have to watch the first one. Like much like Halloween mm-hmm. Kills, I was talking to Matt about, and I feel like they kind of did a pretty good job where you don't necessarily have to watch 1978 and then 2018. I mean, there's a few references you might lose out on, but I right. feel like with Sorcerer's Stone and especially Chamber of Secrets, it's, they're very well connected. Of course, them both being mm-hmm. directed by Chris Columbus, but right. yeah, I, I, I do agree with you on that. It's, it's, it's weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a kid thing or maybe, know. or maybe, yeah, just as we grow older, we know this, those things, uh, but there are sequences here that I think are really good from a storytelling standpoint, even visually. I think my favorite scene in this movie is a very simple one. It's the, it's the moment after the Quidditch match, after, Harry uh, has that terrible spell put on his arm and removes all the bones. Uh, It's the scene that comes after with him in the hospital wing, and you've got Draco Malfoy groaning like an idiot. (laughs) And he's got hardly any friends surrounding him. And then you go to Harry, and his bed is surrounded by so many people. It's a little visual touch that just goes to show his sincerity and how people appreciate him for that. Uh, And I love that. It's a little touch that I think really goes to show how uh, how characterization can easily be conveyed without being told things. And I, and I think it's a great scene. Yeah. You want to know? You want to know why Drango doesn't get many friends around him in the hospital bed? Because he's a jerkwad. Because <laughs> nobody likes him. Well, yeah, and we Matt, certainly already knew that. I, I just love the way that it visually portrays yeah. that. I think it's actually really well done. Yeah. It. You know, Malfoy's groaning, and then you know the nurse comes in, and she's like, "You can go. Like, yeah, you're what fine." Are you still doing here? I was like, "Stop! Like, stop groaning, boy." <laughs> Harry has like half of his house, and like more so from all the other houses. Are you okay, I know. Harry? Like, you're like yeah. Harry, are you okay, Harry? <laughs> But I wanted to pass it over to Matt. Was there um, anything you kind of wanted to bring up here on the um, on the review or the coverage? I don't know what you were. Well, I wasn't book. really bothered by the, by the runtime. It felt like it went by quick because I love mm-hmm. how the way it was paced and I was so invested in the story. And I think that was the beauty thing about the runtime doesn't really matter unless you are so invested in the story, you forgot how long the film was and mm-hmm. you, you don't want to stop watching. And then the more you watch it again and again, the faster it gets. Yeah. The, the, the thing that kind of really bothered me was Guild Warrior Lockhart's played by Kenneth Branagh. I mean, he kept <sighs> bugging me more and more. Like, how are you still, how are you still keeping him in this school as a teacher? You know, he's not the greatest wizard because he can't form a spell very well. He fails three times in a row. And, and he kept bragging that he's like, oh, I'm the greatest wizard. I'm famous, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know why they still keep coming on. Like, you know, he's full of BS. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing I've noticed. It's like, obviously, when you get older, it's like, okay, are the teachers that naive that like, you know, he's mm-hmm. done all these things. But, you know, he did say that, you know, he may not be a great wizard, but he is very gifted with memory charms. Oh, and yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure if he like, it, I guess it's a good 
it's a good thing that Ron kept that broken wand for the plot wise, <laughs> oh, just for him to grab so it and convenient. I mean, it, it's a massive contrivance when you think about it, but it does lead to a really funny sequence. So I'm able to overlook that. Yeah. And Hagrid, and Hagrid puts uh, Harry and Ron in danger by follow the spiders. And they literally almost died. Good thing that the magic card came to the rescue because they would have been screwed. There yeah. are a lot of conveniences in this movie. That is true. Yeah. And I guess what Brandon was saying with, you know, um, what, going back to like the hospital scene, you know, with Mothor, it's only Crab and Goyle. And because it's like, I mean, he kind of, in a way, I guess you could say bullies them to kind of follow him around we don't really see too many other slytherins within the house at least within the um within the movies themselves but right um you you kind of notice small things i guess with ron's wands it would make sense that it would remain broken the entire year because of how ron's family is when it comes to like even ron's like robes like everything's hand-me-down and they and um lucy's mouth boy uh mouth boy excuse me um mentions you know within the beginning uh when they first introduced Gildory, he's like oh he's like hand me down roads and stuff like that you must be a weasley and mm-hmm. it's, you kind of see that throughout um there was a little bit inconsistency because in some scenes he had like the washed out gryffindor robes and other scenes it was you know like hot off the press whatever whatever but i guess for ron's wand it would make sense that his family just doesn't have didn't have the money that yeah. year because right. they have like what five six kids like yeah that, that that does make sense because the the, the weasleys they're they're not full of money they're not like no. the very wealthy awesome like house, the white i was like, gonna say despite not having as much money they their house is amazing and they have the best clock i've ever yes. seen yeah yes. the clock was so good i, I mean, love how they showed harry, that i mean i wish that the weasleys can let harry be their legal guardian because like don't <laughs> let them live with the, the durleys they're the worst family the ever worst. like you probably want them dead yeah. i want a house like that i do yeah. like what it, but it goes to show even though they're not made of money and that's sort of a you <clears> know <throat> a, a contrast to the malfoys for instance who are not only pure bloods but also more well off uh, so they have a sense of like prestige about them that they play off mm. but the way that the the burrow the weasley's house is just so you know like like magically constructed I, I i think that's another great visual touch because it actually shows how great of wizards and witches that they are mm. like there there there's an intelligence to them that is maybe unmatched with other families that find other means that they can get but here they take advantage of that because of just how sincere and how good that, that they are at their at their crafts yeah, and I, I remember. Like, I'm glad you brought up the house there, Brendan, because literally, any every time I saw this movie when I was a kid, like I loved the scene where, of course, you know, the um, Harry and Ron, you know, uh, Harry or excuse me, Ron res- rescues Harry from uh, from the Dursleys, and then you kind of just you know go straight to Ron's house. The first time we ever see it, and it, it's mm-hmm. so warm and inviting, and just it just feels like a safe place just yeah. out in the middle of nowhere in this like beautiful meadow you know this nice little gravel road uh leading mm-hmm. up to the house and you finally see you know you finally see where ron lives because you yeah. know he doesn't come from money in the first um in the first book but um moving on with chamber of secrets you, you start to see more of the world and i think that's yeah what i really appreciate with well, chamber yeah, because, of secrets. What, because what they were doing they were expanding the wizarding world yeah. Mm-hmm. and yeah. I, yeah it's just you know the the self-cleaning um you know, pan and whatnot. And like Brendan said, the clock and it's just this tower of just like, 
I don't know. Magic. And I love I love Harry's reaction to it. I mean, in, in all of these movies, there's like one moment where Harry sees magic as if he's seeing it for the first time. Even yep. in like uh like the, the Goblet of Fire when they go to the Quidditch World Cup. Yes. And he walks into that tent and he says, I love magic. And I'm thinking, you've been in school for over three years now. <laughs> Is this still really new to you? <laughs> you've seen it done at all. It's like, listen. Uh, but I, I kind of get it in this specific movie is because he's only been there for one year. There's still a lot for him to, I, to learn. I have a feeling that he's probably not the best student that pays a lot of attention in class. Like yeah. Hermione, she's the bookworm. She knows everything before going into class. Mm. Yeah, and they really press in this movie that, you know, they really wouldn't be anywhere without Hermione, even with her being petrified, because we do learn that Hermione is um, is a mudblood like Harry's mother, even mm. though Harry mm-hmm. is pure blood. And even with the Weasleys, they are pure blood, but they don't right. come from a lot of money. And you kind of start to think that, well, OK, if this is if this if the basilisk is only petrifying or attempting to kill because they don't they haven't looked the basilisk straight in the eye like mm-hmm. Moaning Myrtle, mm-hmm. everyone else who's a pure blood is fine. <laughs> but- I do because they, the reason why they don't die right away, because they're staring at the basilisk at right. a reflective surface and not straight in the eye. Not right. Directly. Well, like, and that's why Mooney, that's why Mooney Myrtle, the one that the girl that died mm-hmm. in the bathroom, she stared at the eye yeah, directly, directly at him and not at reflection. I guess like, my my I think my biggest issue with Chamber of Secrets, as much as I've been gushing about it for like the past fifty minutes, mm-hmm. um, is that we you, you can kind of quickly learn it's like oh you know the basilisk or something is happening to the mudbloods the the non you know I'll just call them mudbloods and so it's almost as if like okay you're starting to see a pattern and it's like okay if the witches and wizards who are from pure blood families nothing's happened to them because the basilisk's task was to essentially, you know, eliminate the mudbloods from the school because Salazar Slytherin, uh, Slytherin out of all of the other founders, you know, he wanted Hogwarts to be only for pure blood, pure blooded uh, uh, families right. instead mm-hmm. of, you know, the, uh, the mudbloods. But it's, I guess it's like, okay, well, obviously like if it's only attacking mudbloods, then everyone else is fine. So the it's like, there attacked- is a danger to the school. Yeah, but the basilisk attacked the kid, that cat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Well, I guess. Oh, Mrs. Tr- Norris. Mrs. Oh, Norris. Poor, yeah. look, poor cat. <laughs> I mean, I'm. So, I swear to God, people are accusing Harry for what he didn't do. It's like, why would you think he'd be uh, capable of doing this? He was like, put in some sticky situations though. Like he was caught at the worst times throughout this entire movie like it did not look yeah. good for him that's the like, other dude. thing it's like they all find the writings on the wall and the petrified cat and that's when the rest of the school just automatically shows up it's like, just conveniently <laughs> yeah. shows up out of nowhere yeah i will say i do really like uh filch's reaction uh i, I actually think <laughs> as far as a performance standpoint it's actually one of the better moments in the film mm. for me just because of that moment i actually yeah. think there's a lot of weird uh, weird tragedy and sincerity in his reaction yeah he just wants mrs norris back yeah and filch he i think filch is just a mean guy he's just such a mean cranky guy i mean his mom is (laughs) oh my god His his mom is Professor McGonagall. So. Yeah, you don't find out till like the very the, the, the part definitely Hollis Bar too. I was like, wow, that that's your mom. Like, Sorry, mom. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, and, and he's also a squib, I believe. I yes, he term. is. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. He's he's basically like a uh, yeah. He's he's got at least one non magical parent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right? So squib is someone at least one non at least one non magical parent or like 
two pure bloods who produce a nine pure just a, a yeah. miracle, a, an average yeah. Joe on the yeah. street. How epic was the Quidditch game in that film? That was a little bit more epic than the last film did. Yeah, because we finally mm-hmm. saw, um, you know, there's we're starting to see more of the rivalry between Harry and Malfoy, especially in the scene with with the Quidditch and their um, their little duel, uh, which I've mm-hmm. always really enjoyed because of. <laughs> I mean, Snape can see through Kildare's BS like none other, but everyone else is like, "Oh, he's he's this great, you know, wizard and whatnot." But going back to the uh, the Quidditch match, I really liked it because there was more stakes for Harry. Because okay, yeah, they're facing Slytherin again, shocker, but Malfoy's mm-hmm. on the team this time, and they have the Nimbus two thousand and ones. <laughs> yeah, and they are all, and Harry's getting chased by the bludger that someone enchanted that spell on him to mm-hmm. injure him, and that, that added a lot more stakes to that scene. Yeah, I was actually pretty afraid. Like, okay, if that was me, I would probably crap my pants. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh. actually, and, and the way the way that that bludger is handled, I actually think is pretty good filmmaking on Christopher Columbus's part. I think there is actually some inventive ways that it that it tries to follow Harry, especially in that little crevice that's surrounding the. Uh, oh yeah, the, and the way it just kind of bounces around. I actually it, there's a weight to that bludger that is actually felt. And I think a lot of that is also due to the sound design, which is very good too. Yeah. Oh this, yeah. The yeah, sound design was perfect. Yeah. It was in, especially like, I mean, when they're obviously Harry's juggling, you know, trying to catch the, um, you know, the seeker or not the seeker, I'm sorry, uh, the golden the snitch. snitch. And then, you know, dealing with the bludger at the same time. And then the bludger kind of like goes out of the arena for a bit. And then obviously mm-hmm. like on a first watch, like, you know, it's going to pop up somewhere, but like, it makes like a loud booming explosion coming back in that doesn't really right. like even when uh, Harry's facing the basilisk, like there was one time that I jumped in <laughs> this entire movie. It was uh-huh. during the basilisk. Um, I forgot exactly what scene, but he pops out of nowhere. I was like, geez, like, oh, totally forgot about that scene. <laughs> <laughs> but the fight itself you know, it, since it is two hours and 40 minutes with the Basilisk, it's very, um, it's over in a short amount of time. Cause you know, you have the whole monologue, you know, I'm Lord Voldemort, Tom of all riddle and, um, that whole deal. But I really like the exchange between them because it was more of like a dealing threat. Like, okay, I had to take her this Basilisk and Jenny Weasley could be dying like at any moment because right. as she grows weaker, Voldemort grows stronger. And then, you know, Harry kind of just, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the, the Godric Gryffindor sword was awesome. I mean, it it's only comes when when help is needed, and that's why the sword came and showed up and when Harry needed to use it against the Basilisk, in which mm-hmm. I really dug the whole Basilisk fight scene. It was great. Yeah, I like especially that a lot, when he jammed, especially jammed that sword right up to his skull. Like, whoa, dude, that got a little bit graphic. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 kind of pushed the PG rating a little bit, uh, but in a way that I respect because I often feel like that's uh, this is the conflict finds where you can get a little risky with how you handle children's entertainment and i think in this case it's it's really provocative i must say i really like that yeah for a young adult like novel series it it just it it, it's i mean it's it is a coming of age story as well so you know as harry gets older it really is. I, I often say that this entire franchise, if you watch it from beginning to end, it's sort of Richard Linklater's boyhood before Richard Linklater's boyhood. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in a different way. I mean, that movie, Richard Linklater's film, was all about 
the everyday. It was all about the mundanity of life, mm-hmm. not about the heroics of life. I mean, if that movie took place during a high school graduation, he depicts the day after graduation. Right. Uh, that, yeah, that's what he likes. Uh, but the trajectory of how these people age is not too different from a movie like Boyhood. And it is a coming of age adventure, like you're saying, Christian. I think by keeping the same child actors for the entire franchise, that is really key in making this work as i think i remember hearing that daniel radcliffe on a talk show interview when he was promoting the sorcerer's stone i think he said at at that point he was only planning on doing the second one Mm. Uh, and if that didn't happen then these movies don't work no no they don't no not at all and um and much like for on our sorcerer's stone review we kind of talked about uh richard harris and um uh, the new dumbledore i'm blanking on his name i do apologize michael gambon yeah michael um who uh-huh. took over and really like it, the continuity it's just all there and mm-hmm. it's like ren said like if these kids aren't in it for the long haul well, it's, it's it's kind of a big test hey kid you want <laughs> this yeah. ask him you know like sign this contract for like the next 10, 12 years of your life yeah. type thing. But they kind of took it, I'm sure, more in bits by bits because they didn't yeah. really know how far it was going to go. And that casting uh, change was sadly inevitable due to Richard Harris's passing. Um, mm. it, it, I know we're not reviewing Prisoner of Azkaban, but even as someone that has read the books, I kind of like Michael Gambon's portrayal a little bit more. It's very different. It, it, it is certainly a change. I think Richard Harris looks more the part as how he was envisioned in the stories. Mm. Uh uh, and there is a forcefulness in Michael Gambon that I think might be more tailored to the book, but it does create this weird change of pace that you have to get used to between this film and then Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. But when you get used to Gambon's portrayal, I think he's more in tune with the uh, the complications of Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah, I I do I do like uh, Michael Gambon's performance a little bit more than I did with Richard Harris. I mean, he's a great actor. I mean, he was known from the movie Ridley Scott Gladiator, which I thought he was terrific. Mm. And but this this um this actor who played Dumbledore in, in the Prisoner of Azkaban and the rest of the films, he was a little bit more active and had a little bit more distinct present on screen than Richard mm. Harris did in the first two films. And it could be an age thing, uh, you know, with Richard Harris and his age, because I this may have been his last role, uh, or at least one of them. Uh, I'd have to double check. I think, I think Richard Harris. I think the Chamber of Secrets was his last role. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and you can kind of get a sense of his, you know, his age and his fatigue a little bit. Uh, and and I get that, but he certainly looks the part. I think with those like th- those half moon glasses and just the way he's all yeah. put together, <laughs> I, he he definitely feels very much of this world. He uses those half moon glasses like a lot. Like he's looking at people. He's like, "Is there anything he wants to tell me, Tom uh, Riddle?" And he's like, "No." And he's mm-hmm. like. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie. At, he just at looks the time, at him like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. And at the time, I didn't notice that he was recast when I was uh, like nine or ten years old when the film came out. When when I saw the trailer for Prisoner of Azkaban and Dumbledore showed up, I was like, "Oh, he looks a little bit different." Mm. And then he I looks and then, more lively. <laughs> Yeah. He looks a little bit more lively. And then I mm-hmm. looked it up and like, oh, yeah, okay, it's played by a different actor. They recast him. And I think at the time before social media came around the corner, nobody was going to notice the difference at the time. And and the recasting, they can get away with it because mm-hmm. their fans were like, no, you should recast him. No, he could play better than him. Like, no, you had to recast him. Yeah, because you, he's you have in no choice. And if people are mad about that. That's just their own ignorance. Yeah. yeah, but for me, the way I view it, the the actors are there to serve the characters, not the other way around. Right. I mean, th- and that's what the, the every movies have done. And I was fine with recasting, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very you know, and it's you know much like you know what what Chad Bozeman like. Unfortunately, these things just happen, and yeah. you kind of just have. To, and as much as 
you know, you want, you want to stop and, you know, honor their memory. Like, you yeah. know, there, there is, you know, a project that does have, have to be made and you, you have to, you have to find a recasting. Um, I mean, it, even if, you know, a actor doesn't um, pass on, like changes come all the time. Like even within uh, game of Thrones for the mountain, I think it was played mm. like three different actors. So it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, scheduling and just, you know, contracts or whatever else it may be, you know, when it comes to just recasting, you kind of just have to accept it and move on. If you don't like it, that's fine. But right, like, that's it fine. is what it is. Like, you can't go. I, in I still, and change it, I still so. don't know how they're going to make a Black Panther movie without the Chalice character in the film because now they're no, they're no, have no plans of recasting them anytime soon. Which I, for me, I kind of wish they had just because I want to see a story continue. I mean, it sucks yeah. that Chalice Boseman passed because that broke my heart when I first saw the news and it caught me off guard. Yeah. yeah. And, and I believe that they have to, or not, not even have to, I think what they're planning on doing is reshaping that entire movie to be a completely new story, maybe about the mantle of the Black Panther title and, you know, and, and who else is eligible to maybe fulfill those duties. I think it's going to be more about an ownership of that character. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, it's probably going to be a very standalone movie that doesn't have as much connectivity within the overarching MCU, mm. which I'd be okay with. You know, it, it probably wasn't the intent, but given the circumstances, it's like... It, Maybe they're taking that pause to, you know, find that way to not necessarily recast him, but find who is best to, you know, qualify for that role and what those attributes actually mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, when I was younger with with Richard uh, Harris, it was very. I didn't really know too much. I was like, okay, I know this isn't the same actor, but you know what happens to the other guy. And then mm -hmm. my mom kind of told me what happened. And I mean, it's, it's, it's just very, very sad. Sure. But, um, I guess I wanted to end off on the note, um, you, that, um, who was like, what was like your favorite performance in Chamber of Secrets? You know, um, I know we've been talking here for a bit. I didn't want to take too much of you guys' time this, this beautiful, beautiful Sunday. We got some football to watch. So, oh man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It is a football day. Uh, and I keep on trying to look at my fantasy team to see how it's doing. Uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 the side. <laughs> I'll simply say the two performances that stand out to me the most are, uh, Shirley Henderson as Moaning Myrtle. Yes. Uh, who yes. was, Almost forty years old at this time. Really? Yeah, she was. Oh, born in 19, yeah, in the, yeah. In she's the born in nineteen sixty-five, uh, and she's just a great actress. Uh, most people might not even know she played uh, Babu Frick in Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yes. When you said <laughs> yeah. almost forty, I was like, "That there's no way that was her age." But I'm like, "Oh, through the story, my bad. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm losing yeah. it today." But yeah, yeah, she so, was Babu Frick. Yeah, yeah. So she's great, and I also love Julie Walters as Mrs. Weasley. Uh, I, oh. I, I, I I love her charisma. I think those two really stand out to me yeah i even like the the how uh the howler scene that I played earlier to segue mm -hmm. in i just god i love that scene so much like i mean ron is my favorite character like out mm -hmm. of any harry potter character there is and it's just like his his facial expressions everything like he is the person who's giving like the more realistic um approach to like these certain things he's like oh he's like i got a howler and like his face just he's like I am in such deep crap right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Everyone yeah. is watching. We're in the great hall. And then like that entire scene, his mom's just, oh, oh man, just digging into him. And then it's like, oh, Jenny, you know, congratulations to getting into uh, Gryffindor. We're very, very proud. And then yeah, I could, I could have done without the, uh, the, the tongue joke yeah. at the end of that, which I, I, I believe that was added in. That was not from the book. That was just a little in joke right. they threw in here as like a little comedic 
uh, touch for a kids film. But for I sure. could have done without that. I don't. I can't imagine Mrs. Weasley doing that. No, no. <laughs> like, like that's. I'm not sure if that was actually her or if that was just what the Howler does at the end. Of- yeah, I guess we can assume that it's the Howler doing that. Yeah, they, there's no they way. All, <laughs> they all end that way and just stick their tongues out, tongues out at their subjects. It's like, I, well, I'm not going to lie, but he should not have opened up that letter in front of everyone. He should have done that later when no one's in the room. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was humiliating. Well, it's I often talk about that because doesn't Neville say, I got one for my grandma once and it was horrible. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking. He said he ignored it. He, he ignored it. Ha- from. Do you have to say it was horrible because you opened it in fr- front of everyone or did you do it privately because if that's the case ron just open it in the gryffindor common room yeah i mean we all know <laughs> from seeing ron is not the brightest light like no out of anyone out of the entire characters but i just i love his reactions and i think even in goblet of fire he says like bloody hell like 20 or 25 times oh that is a drinking game that yeah is absolutely <laughs> <a drinking> game. <laughs> like and i can't wait to rewatch that again because i love goblet of fire i think that is it feels the most Harry Potter, honestly, since like Sorcerer's Stone when it comes to the magic and, you know, the, the Hunger Games, slash, you know, the Triwizard Tournament, the Goblet mm-hmm. of Fire, of course. Oh, yeah. But, um, let's see, hell. <laughs> <laughs> he, gets, he, gets, he gets a little thirsty with, with some of the, uh, the ladies over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, Matt, who, who was, uh, well, I guess we'll close out with this. Uh, what was, what was your favorite performance in the Chamber of Secrets? Wow, it's really tough. I mean, mm. I love Daniel Radcliffe's performance a little bit more this time around. His acting has got a lot better and better as the, the film progresses. And and I do love t- the actor who played Tom Riddle. I thought he was also great. He was a little bit more menacing than I thought he would be, even though that that's the actual Voldemort. And I liked Malfoy's dad. I mean, he was a great addition. He, that, that dude's a great actor. And yeah. he, I think he's one of the best like on-screen villains that we've seen in a, in a while. Yeah. Uh, Jason Isaacs, I believe it is. Playing, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jason Isaacs. Yeah. He's so good. And that, uh, that final confrontation he has with Harry, uh, when he, uh, you know, places the sock in the, uh, the diary and frees Dobby. Oh, so and you listen closely, you realize, Oh my gosh, Lucius Malfoy was actually going to deliver the killing curse on yep. Harry. Yep. He was about to kill Harry for a brief moment. <laughs> he was about to murder <laughs> him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally and and i i really loved it like w- okay when i was younger i didn't know i didn't understand the concept of wigs when it came to film and stuff so i thought that was his actual hair i'm like wow that's that's really long hair for a guy yeah. and then obviously getting older i'm like oh it, it, it's just a wig i mean you could definitely see it because <laughs> you know if you've seen jason isaac as you know jason isaac you yeah, that's not his real hair. I literally st- still <laughs> thought it was a wig. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 never mind. I stand corrected. I literally thought that was his really hair, his, his real, real hair, hair, not his wig. Is this I was like, it's like so, it's like a mane. It's so crazy. luscious. Yeah, yeah it really I just is. Touch it. <laughs> it's like can uh, I the, just... the, Mal- the Malfoy families, their ble- bleach box head. Seriously, oh though, the yeah. entire the blonde family, the Super Saiyan family, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for me, it's it's a tie between Jason Isaac, even just um. I mean, I I would I mean always with um with Snape uh with it's oh yeah just, I mean I forgot he, about that I mean of course uh, he he Alan Rickman he's Alan Rickman terrific. is like God rest his soul I I oh, think man. between him and the actor who plays a Hagrid it's like it is it's so perfectly cast it's crazy mm-hmm. but I I love you know I I always love Hagrid like he's just you know he he is the glue that. You know, sticks everyone together and towards the end, like that extremely heartwarming moment after, you know, Hermione's unpetrified 
And then yeah. he gets released, unreleased from Azkaban. We keep hearing about Azkaban, but we haven't seen it yet. Until the next film. <laughs> yeah. That's- and, and I think and I think Hagrid, he was always the standout in the first two more than he did in the rest of the films, because mm-hmm. I felt like he kind of felt like he was underwritten in the rest of the movies. Yeah. And I th- he's just so innocent. You know, he's like a giant man child. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think that's what made him so great. And that's why I love Robbie Coltrane's performance as him as well. I yeah. thought, he, and then one of my favorite scenes for Hagrid, it was just that when he was trying to calm like Hermione down and cheer her up, and that was just mm-hmm. a delight. It was wonderful to watch. It's mm. a very sincere moment because you're you feel you know you Harry is fine, like understanding like much like in the Muggle world there is this you know supreme this like supremacy complex this I guess in a way like prejudice we'll just say prejudice and yeah you know it's like it's very you know it's it's very real like no matter what world that he's a part of and you know with Hagrid kind of just calming Hermione down and saying you know like don't you think about it for one second and you know she Mm -hmm. just it's just this nice reassurance that yeah you know I will say it's kind of funny how they end up at Hagrid's given the prime the, the previous scene where the, the slug spell goes wrong. So They're they like, think, oh, let's take him to Hagrid. He'll know what to do. And Not he gives the hospital a, wing. Yeah. <laughs> and he just gives them a bucket. <laughs> yep. So, so the scene can happen with Hermione and Hagrid. Well, and, and it's a great scene. So, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a weird contrivance to get there. But the scene itself is, okay, I, I don't want any other character delivi- deliv- delivering this, uh, this moment of mm-hmm. grace for Hermione. And I want it to be Hagrid. I think it needed to be him. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's very much, you know, with them being second years um, as of this point, Hagrid is always, it, like, he is kind of like their go-to. And it's yeah. like, oh, you know, like we could go to the hospital ring, what hospital wing, but you know, we might as well. Like, it's just like, oh, like kids, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, like with their parents, like you know, where's mm-hmm. mom, where's dad, like whoever is, you know, that that adult figure in their life, especially with Harry because he he has many, and it's like you can't necessarily right. like you don't want to really bother Dumbledore, and then you know Snape yeah. out of the picture. <laughs> yeah, because he's always been a jerk to Harry yeah. for all these years, <laughs> and also it, Harry's learning every new things every movie because he hasn't grown up as a wizard; he's been grown up as a Muggle all of his life, and he's mm-hmm. just learning everything all at once. Yeah, it's, it's like tw- overwhelming to him. Yeah, it's like catching up pretty much like eleven years, twelve years of his life. You know, all these other kids—they're used to all this stuff, but yeah, because the kids who have grown up as a wizard they have a lot more knowledge than harry um, yeah. yeah and with hermione it is more it i i feel like it it might have been the same in a bit of a sense but i would love to see them kind of tackle like what it is for someone who is a mudblood you know gaining these powers you know the you know and having two non-magical parents how are they introduced into this world like i, I wonder if it's just kind of the same type of introductory where you know they they get like this because obviously like her parents have to know about the wizarding world because their daughter is a wizard i i, I you know I, I, that that is so interesting because they try to prevent the exposure of their world as mm. they say here in front of muggles and yet for people and young children like hermione whose parents are dentists if or I'm harry's not mother yeah oh harry's mother but i'm thinking about like hermione's yeah yeah example. right i'm saying just yeah. same for harry's mother same, well. yeah same kind of thing uh but i often think about that perspective what happens when these two parents who have no idea about this world this letter comes in the mail inviting their <laughs> child to take place in wizarding school <laughs> 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 yeah 
how much no you want to bet that how, how, much, <laughs> how much you want to bet that Hagrid came into the door like yeah, it, that yeah she's a witch this is a thing it would be Hagrid recruiting all of these people wouldn't it though because like he's this big you know like blue type person but he's so just like warm and inviting and just it would be him but man who would want that job that's like Santa Claus trying to go to every house on Christmas <laughs> seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 especially at this point, Hogwarts is the only like magical school that we know of. And of course, you know, expanding the Wizarding World, as you see That's with um, yeah, with Goblet of Fire, that you know there are these other schools, and it's like oh, so it isn't just Hogwarts. I'm like okay, because it it makes more sense that so there would be right. more schools. They definitely they definitely touch on it in the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, where now there was the U.S. school. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, so yeah. It's global. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I, I really I like that touch as well. But yeah, um, you know, guys, we've been talking here for a while. I want to thank you guys so much for coming on. Like, I could talk mm-hmm. about this all day, but like I said, I don't want yeah, to take up too much of you guys' time. You know, want everyone here to enjoy their Sundays as they can. But let's go around for final thoughts, and then we'll do some little bit of self promotion and close out. We'll uh, start with Matt and, and with Brendan, and then I'll go and yeah, we'll uh, get out of here. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter just at Matt Wyatt six five one. And if you want to check out my my other social media platform, the the uh, the link is in the bio, and it's called Linktree, where you can just find me on Snapchat, Instagram, or, or Letterbox, where I do my movie reviews there. Okay, Brendan, you have any uh, final thoughts? Or Matt, sorry, did you have any final thoughts about the film uh, before we head out? Yeah, I think the film kept getting better, and better the more I watch it, especially when you watch the final installment of Deathly Hallows Part Two and how it comes in the full circle. You start to appreciate it the more you view the film. Okay. And Brandon, mm-hmm. what about you? As far as final thoughts with this one, it isn't one of my favorites in the franchise anymore. Uh, it's it, it, I, I, I'd probably still give the edge to movies like uh, Half-Blood Prince and Prisoner of Azkaban is probably my two favorites of the films, which is <laughs> interesting because most of the book purists don't like those ones very much. They're no, the they ones that, that veer a little <laughs> bit further away from their source material and become a little bit more, I should say, a little looser in their uh, portrayals of some of these stories. But I think aesthetically from a filmmaking standpoint, they're the most, they're the most artful for me. And I tend to respond to those more often. So it's those two is my favorites, uh, but that's really my final thought on this. I do love this franchise and I hope it picks up a little bit with what's it called? The secrets of Dumbledore is the next. Oh, uh, fantastic yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, I was so excited for crimes against Grindelwald. We didn't commit any crimes. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm, it just, you know, admittedly, I'm not the biggest fan of that uh, Fantastic Beast movie specifically. I, I thought the first one was fine. I thought it was okay. It was, it was all right. But I, felt, was, I, I literally nearly fell asleep watching the first one. Yeah, it was so boring. It, 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 it reeks of like this, uh, this obligatory sense. Like they just had to make it to keep this franchise going in some way. But I didn't really feel any passion behind it. Yeah. There's no charisma. There's no characters that you like, and mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're in that world. It just feels bland and forgettable. But this is what happens when you have the, a book writer like J.K. Rowling writing the screenplay, which it was not the smart move to do. Yeah. And you're making a movie that was based on a short book, a short story. Yeah, so you basically have to make it up as you go along, and it is proof that uh, great novelists are not necessarily great screenwriters, or vice versa. I've sometimes seen great screenwriters try and write novels, and it it, it doesn't work as well. It's it's just it's a completely different art form and a different medium, yeah. uh, which is why with this new one, I do see that Steve Cloves is coming on as a writer as well. So he's mm. returning to the franchise yet again. So at least hopefully that makes it feel like a movie. 
because that's the thing. <laughs> uh, uh, Crimes of Grindelwald just didn't feel like a movie. It felt like a series of setups. Unfortunate to, events. <laughs> it felt like a series of unfortunate <laughs> events. <laughs> well was, said, Chris. I'm going to I'm going to pretend that Fantastic Beast doesn't exist. Oh. It's not. Oh, it's movie. here. I, I'm going to say I it. have the Blu-ray only because I love Harry Potter that much. I I have it for mm-hmm. the collection, and that's literally it. I paid it, like 15 bucks for it on Black Friday. Or something if they like do that. continue this in some way, I mean, I I think there are some speculations of some television show for HBO Max at some point. I don't really yeah. know what it's going to oh, portray. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they definitely said they're doing a television series for the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to, if I'm not mistaken, I think they are going to, it's a reboot with Sorcerer's Stone. And I've always oh. wondered, I'm not entirely sure. This is what, I, what, I, what I've read. Um, I can't remember. It was probably on We Got You Covered or whatever it's called. That's crappy. But anyway, that was a terrible example. Um, <laughs> 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 but from what, I, uh, from what I saw, it was more of... I. I've, I've, I guess I've just, I've just always wondered what this franchise, like how different it would be if it was in a series form. Because back, you know, in the early 2000s, 2001, and, you know, like just the early 2000s from like 2000, 2010, it was all about let's make every single uh, book into a movie right. instead of now we are seeing more of the other spectrum. Where it's like, hey, you know, there, there, there just isn't a lot of time to make every single book into a movie. So let's focus mm-hmm. more on, on TV series because there's more time to develop these characters. We, we've seen it, you know, we're, we're seeing it with, of course, with Game of Thrones. So uh, with Lock and Key that's happening on Netflix, uh, his Dark mm-hmm. Materials as well, which um, I've actually really, really enjoyed so far. I know it doesn't get a lot of buzz, but from book to, um, you know, to series, it, it does a pretty good, great freaking job and better yeah. than the golden compass i really i really hope it's not a reboot in that sense because these mm. movies are only you know we're celebrating 20 years that's that's yeah. not that long they're it's still not. very fresh and feels like forever. <laughs> yeah so i don't know what that show will be uh I, I know some people really want to see this what is it this play called harry potter and the cursed child oh. uh cu- oh. <laughs> which oh, is mm, which uh, okay if they make that i really hope they change the story to get I rid of the whole time turner stuff because that yeah. just i i think it's 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 a story that i'm surprised jk rowling had some input on because it feels like fan fiction it, yeah. i don't think it's a great story i think there's a great essence of a decent story there but i think the way it goes is just way too okay let's let's throw in as many references as we can because we know people know them uh, yeah, yeah speaking of the speaking of like the book series to to a tv show there lord of the rains has already been doing the same thing and it's like the most expensive budget on anything like tv and film in general yeah and a- apparently it is meant to take place way before what we also know at lord of the rains yeah so there's like a, it's, a, it's a different time period so i guess i don't know if it's meant to still somehow interlock with peter jackson's uh films uh, it, it, I hear it does, but I'm I'm just speculating at that it's, point. It's supposed to be like around the second age of Middle Earth. Okay, I think yeah. I mean, just from that one screenshot we saw, I was like, okay, yeah, this looks awesome. Yeah, Rivendell <laughs> looks interesting. Yeah, yeah, it does. But uh, Brandon, where can everyone find you on the internet, and what is coming up on your side of the woods? Uh, so you can hear me. Uh, talk a lot over on In Session Film and all of our stuff is over at InSessionFilm.com. We've got some great writers there, including yours truly, Christian. Uh, And and we've had some great reviews there from a website standpoint. But as far as the podcast is is concerned, we've got myself and my co-host J.D. Duran running the main show, reviewing mostly the new releases for each weekend, which was certainly hard during a COVID uh, 
year. Uh, but we're getting back into the swing of things. We're reviewing the last duel this weekend, the latest from Ridley Scott. We'll have some thoughts on that. Uh, and then we also have our extra film segment where Ryan McQuaid and Jay Ledbetter cover movie series, director series, some independent films that we don't have time for on the main show. And you can find all of that at InsessionFilm.com or at InsessionFilm. And you can find me specifically on Twitter at Brendan J. Cassidy. I'm pretty active there as well. All right. And of course, you can find all of our stuff over on Film Optics here on the Film Optics podcast. You won't find us on YouTube. We are an audio only podcast, much like many others out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, oh man, coming up on our podcast, as of this recording, when this releases, our Halloween Kills and our The Last Duel review um, will be out as well so definitely go ahead and check those out if you're listening right now if you watch those over uh this past weekend and of course you know we have dune coming up which is going to be a lot of fun and mm-hmm. uh last night in soho french dispatch we're doing a lot um <laughs> this october including yeah. continue continuing our movie series uh with uh, the harry potter movie series celebrating 20 years of magic um coming up uh, the following week we will have ryan mcquaid and nicole ackman coming back um ryan was on our uh, no time to die review definitely go yep. check that out he uh gushed about it a lot him and griffin uh but yeah we have for prisoner of azkaban we have ryan and we have nicole ackman coming back to review nice. that and definitely we'll love to have you guys on for you know um as we continue the series you know it's 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 a mighty mighty task but you know i'm just trying to take it one week it's a mighty a task but we enjoy doing it uh yeah. and, and I, I i certainly appreciate you having us on man Oh. Yeah, and after like after talking about it, just I want to finish the rest of the movies now. <laughs> well, how could you not? Over, <laughs> no. see, this, it's so this good. Is not work. This is not work for us. No, it's it's not. It it seems like it from the outside, but like it's work. But it's work that you enjoy, and that's sure. you know the the thing that you know. I've been listening to In Session Film for a very long time. I think they do great work over there. Well, appreciate and, you know, it, man. Matt's been you know killing it with his his novel reviews over on Letterbox, <laughs> which I wow. really do enjoy because. Yeah. I'll do like one to two sentences. I'm like, yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just write my review and talk about what comes to my mind and just talking like I'm talking in one sentence and stuff. And I just <laughs> never stop talking about it. And also, I forgot to mention that I'm coming back for tomorrow to talk covering the last duel. Yeah, which that's I'm right. He is. Oh my gosh, it. I totally forgot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I totally no forgot worries. about that. Yeah, yeah, he's coming back tomorrow to cover it with me. And um, we have Leo from Geekly Goods and Amanda from AMX NDA Reviews. So yeah, with all that said. Uh, that was our Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets review. Definitely go check out our Sorcerer's Stone review. Listen to JD gush about Harry Potter because he loves it just as much. It's all yeah. of us. <laughs> but uh, with all that said, let's get on out of here. And I hope everyone has a great you know Sunday, great week. And yeah, let's uh, close on out. And that's a wrap for today, everyone. Thank you all for listening. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star reading and review on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay in the know. That was Brendan, Matt, and my name is Christian. And we'll see you guys in the next one.